Abba Father, Lord Jesus, we just lift up this evening. Lord, as we prepare to open the scriptures this evening, Lord, probably this portion of scripture is um, it's one of the most intimate portions of the entire Bible. And Lord, I am not able to even able to describe, to understand the things, Lord, deeply. I just pray, Lord, that your spirit may guide us this evening, Lord. Help us be able to be able to understand these scriptures, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit walk us through these words. Father, the love and the passion and the obedience that you've shown, Lord Jesus, to bring us to this point, Lord, is absolutely amazing, Lord. And Father, Lord Jesus, teach us deeply write it on our hearts, write it on our minds. Let this be a meal of nourishing word, Lord Jesus, as we uh, just try to wrap our minds around this portion of scripture. We lift this up to you. Amen. 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 All right, tonight our scriptures going to be Matthew 26, 39 through 49. It's the uh, prayer in the, in the garden. And it's often referred to as the agony of love. And uh, there they go. Everything in the universe, everything in the universe points to this moment. Everything that there ever was, everything that there ever will be, looks forward to it and looks backwards to it. It's an absolutely amazing piece of scripture. And it's the Jesus prayer in the garden. And just to recap from where we were last week, we were studying um, the, after the Last Supper, the teaching that Jesus had done to prepare for the Passover. And the Last Supper was not the Passover, Jesus is the Passover lamb. And the Last Supper finished with the Hallel songs, which are the uh, traditional psalms that if you go through them, they are the story of the Exodus and God's redemptive plan as outlined through Exodus 6, 6 through 7. And after they were singing, they moved to the Mount of Olives and they looked at the, the symbolism of the Mount of Olives and particularly the Garden of Gethsemane, which means oil press. And this is the moment, this, this, this prayer is the moment where Jesus is pressed. And it's the symbolism of taking an owl off the tree and pressing it and pulling the oil out of it. Jesus will become that olive. And we also studied Jesus predicted um, that Peter's denial and all the apostles were going to deny him. And they could not understand. We looked at specifically Matthew 26, 31, and in context of Zechariah 12, 13 to 14, where it says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep and the flock will be scattered. And believe it or not, that, that theme does pass through to the scripture here. Israel the Messiah's expectation, the conquering Jewish king. So in, in context, as Jesus come, came to, to Israel as, their, as the Messiah, Israel for the most part missed him. Israel was looking for a conquering king, the Messiah, who would free Israel from Roman rule and take his position on the throne of David. 
the problem because that's not what God's plan was. For centuries and centuries, they were they were thinking it would be a king like King David. For main Jewish groups, four main Jewish groups existed at the time of Christ. You had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. Josephus notes that the Zealots agree in all other things with the Pharisaic nations, but they have an inviolable attachment to liberty and say that God is to be their only ruler and Lord. So they were very passionate, just like the Pharisees, but they're extremely nationalistic. They did not believe that Rome should be ruling over them. They were God's people, and they believed that God and the Messiah was coming back to, re, to turn that around, to, to judge the Roman Empire. The, the Zealots uh, were numbered members of a first century political movement along with Judean uh, Jews who sought to overthrow the occupying government. And although they were active, especially um, before Jesus' rule and after Jesus' life, they were the ones that primarily instituted the Great Dispersion that was 38 years after the death of, of, the, the, after the, the, uh, death of Jesus Christ in 70 AD. Um, they rose up against it, uh, Rome and thinking that the, God would never let them lose, but they did. And we talked about the sheep of the flock would be scattered when they take their eye off the shepherd. The zealots had preconceived made-up image of God. Therefore, they missed their visitation. Jesus was a suffering servant. They couldn't imagine a servant that would come in riding on a donkey and give his life up for them. And it was that that we need to pay attention to. Because when we get involved in, in traditional teachings and we don't follow the, the scriptures, we take our eye off God, we too will wander and we will, we will be lost. Tonight's scripture... Uh, Matthew 26, 36, 46. And I will read it here. Then Jesus came to them in a place called Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to sorrowfully and deeply distressed. When he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death, stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch over me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying to the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of the sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So Matthew 26, 36 says, Jesus came to them, a place called Gethsemane, and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray. 
So we know that they went to the Mount of Olives, which is located directly across the Kidron Valley from the east that looks westward right towards the Temple Mount. Jesus had a perfect view of his holy city, his father's house, which he just got done calling it down of iniquity. And that, again, as we said, the symbolism of the oil press and Jesus being pressed for our transgressions is plainly obvious here. And another interesting, you know, parallelism um, are the two gardens and a message of obedience. In Genesis 2, 15, 17, it's the Garden of Eden. And the Lord God took, the, took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of every garden you may eat, but of the tree of knowledge and the good of evil you shall not eat. For in that day, if you eat of it, you shall surely die. And what happened in the Garden of Eden? He, he, that's what happened. We, sin equals death. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see the other garden with Jesus. And he is in that position on the rock in unbelievable despair because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. That's the only way to reverse it. So if we look at the two gardens also of obedience, you got Adam. Adam had the authority of all creation. He was tempted, but he failed. He caused all mankind to be affected with sin. Disobedience of God leads to death. And gave authority to Satan. Where Jesus, the second Adam, the authority over all creation, tempted and passed, tempted and passed Hebrews 4.15, gave all mankind the opportunity to be forgiven of sin. And the reference would be Romans 5, 12, 15. Obedience to God leads to life. And we're going to see Jesus did have a choice on this day. And that would be John 10, 10. And he took authority back from Satan. In Luke 19, 37 through 40, we also see the Mount of Olives had many different times. And as we see Jesus huddling and in pain and agony right now in, in, the, in, the, in the Gethsemane, there were times that were great just a few days ago. Just a few days ago. It would have been Nissan 10 four days ago. And if we read 19, 37, 40. Then as he now was drawing near to the descent of Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works he had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And again, they were singing, what, Psalm 118, which was the LL, which happens to be the exact center of the Bible. Again, everything will point to this moment. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. How could a conquering king be riding in on a donkey? But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these... If these, that, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. It goes on in, in Luke 19, 41. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. 
saying, If you had known, even you, especially to this day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an abatement around you, and surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave, leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation, speaking of the Daniel prophecy. So that's a picture of the Mount of Olives. And on the wall there, you can see the Golden Gate. And he came from Bethany over this mountain, and then he rode down through the Kidron Valley and into the gate. And a lot of people don't realize that the Mount of Olives of the Gethsemane is also surrounded by a grave. It's one of the most prestigious graves because you're close to the temple. And they would have whitewashed all those tombs to make them beautiful for this one day of Passover. Matthew 24, 1 through 2, Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Surely I say to you, not one stone shall be left here, and upon another shall be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? So imagine Jesus coming as the Messiah. This was the very moment that Daniel had predicted to the day. It was the day of glory. It was the day of the visitation. On the Mount of Olives, they were celebrating. Hosea, Hosea. Okay. And now, four days later, after they inspected him, just like they did in, in Nexus, could find no, 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 no wrong with him. He was on Mount of Olives praying in Gethsemane knowing what he was about to go through, knowing that he was going to be rejected and crucified. 36, sit here while I go and pray. So the, Matthew 26 going on, part two of 36, it says, Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray over there. And Matthew 21, 13 said, and he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. Prayer is something that is critical to our life. Jesus, over and over and over again, we see in his ministry, even though he's God, he's God's son, he didn't have an, an intuitive thing of what to do. He communicated with God nonstop. And what Jesus is giving them here is an invite. Come, this is going to be a moment of great trial. <clears throat> And they, they were tight, and they would not pray, even though they spent three years with this man, and they knew him. And they, after spending three years with somebody, you know when they're tired, right? And they saw his exhaustion, and he was in anguish. Like, you've never seen somebody in anguish. And that fact that they didn't have the heart to, to, to stay with him, striking them. In Isaiah 56, 7, even then, them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifice will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. 
So what Jesus is saying here is, I am about to be the Passover lamb, and you need to be in prayer with me. If you take your eyes off me, you're going to fall. You're going to slip. All of us should know that if we're not praying on a regular basis, we can't be truly following the Lord. We need to be in constant communication with Him. This was the error that they made. This is where all the things start to go, was the fact that they were not willing to follow the example of, the, of their shepherd following God. Matthew 26, 37, 38, goes on and says, And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to sorrowfully and deeply distress. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Here we can see that these adjectives that describe Jesus, these are not like somebody that's just sad. Jesus is absolutely terrified. He knows what's coming. I don't know when he knew that he was going to be the Messiah. I suspect that his father gave him the message, probably maybe when he was 12, speculation, at that day when he was teaching in the temple. But we know that he knew for a long time that he was going to have to be the Passover man. And he willingly walked. And this was the moment. He, he had to take that cup. Luke 22:39, which is another account for it. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives and he, as a, a custom. And like I said, they've been there many times. And he did some deep teaching. And some of it was very joyful. And his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter temptation. And he, was, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, it is your will. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There is an, then an angel appeared to him from heaven to strengthen him. Jesus was so afraid, he asked to get out of it. Not only was it going to be, you know, torture, he was going to turn himself over to his enemy, the Satan, to do whatever he wanted for to him. But he was going to be mocked. He was going to be stripped. He was going to be ridiculed, walked through the streets, and unbelievably tortured. And this was the cup that he knew he was going to have to bear. 22, 40, 44, Luke 22, 44, 46 goes on and says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer, he had come to his disciples. He found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Raise and pray. Let your... Let, let at least you enter temptation. Now, I know there's a lot of medical theories and things like this, but uh, Jesus' blood was dripping from his face, just like you can imagine that olive, the press pushing on the olive oil. 
he was being pressed beyond what any of us have ever even remotely or ever will be experiencing. The, the weight of the universe was on him. Hebrews 5, 7, 11 says, Who in these days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication, again, prayers and supplication, the prayers following in obedience to his Father's will, with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as a high priest according to the order of Mechizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So we can see here that by his obedience, by the things which he suffered, he was perfected. And this is exactly the same test, but not nearly the intensity that the disciples had. All they had to do was stay awake so they would not be tempted. And Father Abraham, see, God was not was not alone Jesus was not alone in the suffering. There you're you're a father. Thomas, you're a father. Can you imagine if your son was going to go through this? It was God's will that he would go through this. We read in Genesis twenty two, and I'm going to start with verse two and then I'm going to skip down, save time. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love and you go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on, on the mountain of which I shall tell you. Mount Moriah is the Temple Mount. This is a picture of what Jesus was going to go through. We skipped on the six. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, son. And he said, Look at the fire and the wood. But where, are, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there, placed the wood in, or, in, in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your son, do not lay a hand on your son, the lad, or on anything to him, for now. I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram 
caught in the thicket by its horns. Remember, Jesus was laid with a crown of thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called for the name of the place the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, in the mouth of the Lord, it shall be provided. Father gave his only son up, Jesus. And Abraham, by obedience, was the one that was given right after this, the Abrahamic covenant, that he would make a nation. And through the Abrahamic covenant, the, 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 the kingdom of Israel was born. Through the kingdom of Israel, the Messiah Jesus now lay in the garden to be that sacrifice. That moment now is taking place. 2 Corinthians 5, 16, 19. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, as committed to us the world of reconciliation. It was the Father that sent him. It was Jesus through obedience, just as Abraham did. And remember here, we, we, we have Jesus on the stone and his disciples, the very trusted few, the three, and the other 12 are out too. Nobody else in the world is standing with them. Matthew 26, 39, goes on and says, And he went a little further, and he fell on his face, and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible that this cup, that this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We see that Jesus, it's, it's not wrong for us to think that Jesus was afraid. It's not wrong for us to think that Jesus was terrified. It's not wrong for us to think that he would have passed on the cup. The reason he took the cup was because he did it out of obedience. Sometimes in our lives, in fact, it will happen, so nothing like this, but we have to sometimes make a decision that will not be good for us, to stand with Christ. The New Covenant, Luke 22, 20 says, Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is my cup. This is the cup, is the New Covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And... In, in Exodus 6, 6 through 7, which is really the entire salvation story, there's four cups, and it says, I am the Lord, I will bring you from, from under the burdens of the Egyptians, out, out from slavery, I will rescue you from their bondage, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I, that's what Jesus is doing, he's redeeming us from sin. That's the cup. How does Jesus redeem us? Redemption is by the blood. 
with outstretched arm and with great judgments, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Redemption. In Romans 3, 23, 26. For there is no difference, for all have sinned. Remember the garden? And fall short of glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a prohibition by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, patience, which is patience, in his patience, though God is slow to anger, very slow to anger. God has passed over the sins that were previously committed demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The couple of redemption in Hebrews 9-11-14 but Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come. When the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, remember we talked about Jesus and about how not one stone will, will last. I will become the, the tabernacle. I'll rebuild it in three days. By the way, that was the thing that they crucified on for saying, how can you tear down this temple and build it in three days? Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers sprinkling the, the unclean sanctified for purifying of the flesh, now how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, to God. Cleanse your consciousness from dead works to serve the living God. That's what Jesus, redemption is the forgiveness of sins. This weekend we're going to have baptism. Those who believe that you've been born again, they, they, they go, they, they get baptized. They go under it as if they're going under the cross, under with the cross with Christ coming up as a new creation. They're washed clean. Never again. Jesus ever look at them as sinful. Doesn't mean that their sin has been wiped away clean. They still have a conscience that has a sinful spirit and that, that fights against the Holy Spirit. The flesh fights constantly with the spirit. But Jesus no longer looks at us as sinful. He's washed one and once for all. Sin has been obtained. has been conquered. Matthew 26, 40, 41 goes, then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter in temptation. Listen how Jesus is warning them. You've got to pay attention. Lest you enter temptation. What does that tell us about prayer? He says, Make my house a house of prayer. We need to be in constant communication with the Lord. If not, we shall be scattered. We will, we will go in our own ways. Jesus, every day, every step, went up to the mountain talk and came out of the mission. 
The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. In Galatians 5.17, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. It goes on to say in Galatians 5.19-21, Now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentious, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions and heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like of which you beforehand. Just as I told you in the past that you, that those who practice such things will not enter the kingdom of God. This sounds very much like our culture today. Because they're not following the shepherd. And it goes on to say in 5:22-25, but the spirit of the, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh, who is with its passions and its desires. We live in the spirit. Let us also walk in the spirit. And we walk in the Spirit. We communicate with us. We talk to Him. We pray. The Spirit is our, our translator, our helper. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now Jesus laying on that cross, He's in the Spirit. He is. That is what it looks like to be fully committed for God. What it looks like to be so selfish to say, I need to sleep was what, it, what the apostles were doing. They were struggling through a lack of obedience, listening to the word of God, his commandment, come, come pray with me. Isaiah 53. Thank you very much. of Jesus Christ. This is was written way before by the prophet Isaiah of what was going to happen to Jesus. So we know that this is what he knew he was going to be subject to. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when, he, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire in him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as, there, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our gifts, our griefs, and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, submitted by God, and afflicted. Notice how everything is us and we. But he was wounded for our transgressions. 
He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We were scattered. Why were we scattered? Why were they scattered? Because they took their eyes off the shepherd, the suffered for them. We have turned every one to his own way. That's what happens when we take our eye off Jesus. We turn and we do things that's right in our own way. And the Lord has laid him the iniquity on us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent. He opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison, from judgment, and who will declare the generations? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked. But with the rich of with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any dissent in his mouth, he was pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. And he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteousness servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him as a portion with great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death, he, had, he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus was fully aware of what was about to happen. Again, in, in Matthew 26, 42 and 43, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed a third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? There's a verse, it's the 21st chapter of John. You know, when I read, and this is a this is an absolute tender story for me. It's one that I most cherish, and I'm not going to read out of the King James. I'm going to read this out of a, um, a Jewish uh, version because this is a very Jewish moment. It's a very very personal moment for for Christ, and I'm going to read this, uh, John 21. After this, Yeshua Matthew manifested himself again to the taught ones at the Sea of Canaan, and he manifested manifested this way. Shema, Kepha, and Tuma, called the twin of Nathanael of Cana, came in Galileo, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his top ones were together. Shema, Kepha said to them, I'm going to fish. And they said to him, We are coming with you. And they went out and immediately entered into the boat. And that night they caught none at all. But when they came early morning, 
Yeshua stood at the, stood at the beach. However, the taught ones who did not know that it was Yeshua. Then Yeshua said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Throw the net on the right side of the boat, and you shall find. So they threw, and they were no longer able to draw in because of a large number of fish. You gotta remember, John started off with, I'll teach you to be fishermen of men. And here he is, the risen Christ. That taught one, whom Yeshua loved, said to Kepha, It is the master. And Shema Kepha, hearing that it was the master, put on his outer garment, for he was tripped, and plunged into the sea. And the other taught ones came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, draining the net with fish. So when they had come to land, they saw fire and coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Yeshua said to them, Bring, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Shemakifa went up and dragged the net to land, full of 153 big fishes. And though there were so many, the net was never broken. Yeshua said to them, Come have breakfast. And not one of the top ones had the courage to ask, Who are you? Knowing that it was the master. Yeshua came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the same with the fish. This was now the third time Yeshua was manifested to his taught ones after he was raised from the dead. When therefore they had eaten their breakfast, Yeshua said to Shema Kepha, Shema, son of Yonah, do you love me more than these? He said to them, Hey, master, you know that I love you, he said to them, feed my sheep. He said to the gun a second time, Shema, son of Yonah, do you love me? He said to him, Hey, master, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd, my sheep. He said to him a third time, Shema, son of Yonah, do you love me? Kepha was sad because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Master, Master, you know that I love you. Yeshua said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you are old, you shall stretch out your hands and another shall gird you and bring you where you do not wish. Now this, he said, signified I left that to the scheme of our team. And having said this, he said to him, Follow me. And Kiva turned around and saw the top one who Yeshua loved following, who also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Master, who is the one that's delivering you up? Seeing him, Kiva said to Yeshua, but Master, what about this one? Yeshua said to him, If I wish him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Again, it's not about where everybody else is going. God has a plan for each and every one of us. And the only way you'll know is to talk to him. Therefore, the word went out among the brothers that this taught one wouldn't die. However, Yeshua didn't say to him that he wouldn't die. But if it desired to reign until I come, what is that to you? This is the taught one who bears witness about these matters and who wrote these matters. We know that this witness is true. Now there is much else that Yeshua did, and every one of them 
were written down. I think the world itself did not contain the written books, which I truly believe. Amen. So, this is the story of Jesus restoring Peter. In John 21, 15, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. I'm going to go back to a biblical definition of, of, of love. And we're going to go to Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And it's, the, it's a cornerstone of, of, of the Bible. It's the Shema. And they would say it three times a day. In Diana, you see Daniel praying three times a day, right? Isn't that funny that three, three, three comes up all over North Diana? It must have been that would be all night. The three times a day, morning, noon, and night, they would say this. And this is the song most likely Daniel was singing. We know Daniel was an obedient Jew. He wouldn't even eat, he would eat only kosher food when the king asked him not to eat. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our, because he obeyed. He obeyed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as signs on your forehead, and you shall be as uh, Fortlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, a lot of people call that John 21 the Great Commission. That has probably been, you know, canonized in Christianity. That the Great Commission of all Christians is to go out and preach the good news to all the nations, and it is a high command. But I believe the greatest commandment and the Great Commission above that is to love your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This sums up the entire law. If you don't have that, how are you going to be alive? If you're not following the shepherd, you're not going to, you're going to lead others astray. The Great Commission is to love your God with all your heart. What does love mean? Deuteronomy 11, 13, 21, which is, continues, which is the Shema. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season and early rain and later rain that you may gather in your grain. And actually the rain was the harvest, which is exactly what the harvest season celebrates when Jesus came for the barley fest on Passover and the wheat fest for, for uh, uh, Pentecost. It was those things that they're celebrating was the seasonal rain that brought forth the, the, the harvest, which Jesus was the first fruit, which they couldn't see until now. And I, and, and I will send grass in your fields and in your livestock you shall eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and your turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Lest the Lord anger be aroused in you, and he shut up the heavens, and so there will be no rain, and the land will yield no produce. You can per perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. So I want to just go back to the beginning. And the Lord, and it shall be that you earnestly obey my commandments. Now, 
When we say this as Christians, we're like, oh, no, no, no. There is no more commandments. We, 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 the law is gone. Then my question to you is, and at the end I'm going to ask you, tonight, go home and understand how do you know what's right and what's wrong? Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as signs on your head, and they shall be as fortresses between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, when you rise up, and you shall write them on doorposts of your house and your gates. That means everywhere you go, your house, when God brought the children from Egypt to, to, to Mount Sinai, he says, I'm going to first make marriage holy. It's going to be a new thing. It's not going to be like all the other nations. I want to take marriage and I want to make your houses holy. And when your houses are holy, my house will be holy. And we're going to be a family of unity. And that's what he says. I'll write them on doorposts of your house and on your gates, that you, in your days, the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like days of the heavens of the earth. The Shema is a biblical definition of love. Numbers 15 is also the Shema, 37, 41. And God commands them to make tassels of their garments. And don't, I'm not going legalistic here. I'm not proposing that the law is still good and we need to follow 613 laws. That law has been made better by the new covenant. But God did not come to the, to the to, he came to fulfill the law. And it's, it, as he taught in the Mount of Beatitudes, the, the, the consciousness of God, the consciousness of the law. And the tassel of the garment said, Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and to put a blue thread of tassels the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, that you may follow the, so you may not follow the hollow tree to which your own heart and your own eyes are intended. And so the armor of God is, there, is, is, is the word of God. So they're following the shepherd. And as you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God, because he separated them, he made them holy nation. What separates them is the word of God. It is the covenant promise. I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. These tassels that you see, and they still wear them, and you see them all over, and people and Christians do all sorts of weird things with them. They're, they're a prayer shawl. They're called a prayer shawl. And the prayer shawl is a, is, is a symbol of the tent that, that God walked through the Egyptians with, you know, or Egypt, or the desert with. As, as they, they all walked through with their tents. And he, these tents, they were all guided by the law. And he was making their, them into his people. This is a garment that he describes here. That is a prayer shawl of love. This is an amazingly intimate, beautiful picture of clothing. Just as it is the white linen that he clothes, clothes you with when you're born again. This, this garment was something that they wore daily and they still wear. It's a reminder Keep their eye on the shepherd. Thus they be scattered. And God said, make you into a house of prayer. It's a prayer shop. So when we see the disciples up there, 
on, at the Mount of Gethsemane with Jesus, at the very moment that he had to make the decision, I will take this cup. He asked him for prayer, and they said, I'm not following you. It's no wonder Peter ran into the problem that he did. He, he, this is the, he, we, we can make up things about why he did what he did, that he was just a goofy guy, but this was God's man. This is Peter. He's, he's an amazing man. God saw something special in him above all other people. And he fell because he took his eye off the Lord. And we study that in, in, in Zechariah. By the way, when you look at the Kidron Valley, I always forget to say this, right? There's a little tomb there. That's Zechariah's tomb in the Kidron Valley. Just a reminder, right between the owls and the, and, and the Temple Mount. Keep turning. And in John 21, 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, signing out Jonah, do you love me? Now, what, with what we just read, what does Jesus say when he says, do you love me? Does he say, you know, do you kind of like me as a person? <laughs> you know, what, is, what does Western love look like? Is it a feeling? Is it self-serving? It makes me feel good? I'm really enthused with knowing him? Or is it, I will obey your commandments and I will follow you? Love by God is defined by obey, obedience. To walk in his ways, to walk in his precepts. And so we see here, I'm saying a second time, you made a mistake on Gethsemane. And look at what happened. Here, do you love me? Shepherd my sheep. I need you to lead my people as I led you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And then John 14, 21, he who has my commandments, and I'm going again, John 14, 21, on this side of the river, okay, this is what God says about love. He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. John 21, 17, 19. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. You walked where you wished. You did not follow me. You did not follow your shepherd. You did what was right in your own mind when you were young. But a young person could be an adult, and an old person could be a child of God's kingdom if they don't follow Christ. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another shall gird you and carry you where you do, where you do not wish. He spoke signifying what death he would glorify God. And he said to him, speak. He had spoken this, and he said to him, follow me. Jesus knew that Peter learned the lesson. He really did. But, did he really? He really struggled with, with that idea of zealous. Of the identity of Israel being the one and only people of God. That the Gentiles were, were wrong. 
people and not able to be in the fold. And he, he kind of struggled with that. It was Paul that broke that boundary. So that idea of zealotry, that Israel nationality, I would say it's very much like, I hate to say it guys, but super conservative party of America who thinks that America is going to be reborn again to be the land of a, of a bright light in the world. What's first? Jesus. It's not the redemption of our country. It's the redemption of God. And that's what the heart of the zealots were. Peter and all the apostles struggled with that if you go through the Gospels. It was Paul. The one who was the hugest massive Pharisee of them all. The God guy. And this side of the river, again, love. 1 John 5, 2-3 says, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You know, the, the 613 commandments and all the oral traditions that the Jews put on were incredibly burdensome. But Jesus didn't give them the 613. But what made it burdensome was all the things they added to it. When you see God, our, Jesus argue with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it's usually about the oral law, the things that they made up. They couldn't have to add to the word or to take away from the word. They added tons to the word. If you go into a rabbi's house, you'll see a wall of books, and that one wall, you go, what, what, what is that all about? The history of the world, he goes, no, that's the Sabbath. They added to the law. Jesus says, just make this day holy. It's kind of a theme. Love does no wrong. A neighbor, therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. Romans 13. And the side of error again, Matthew 17, 19, Christ fulfills the law. Do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill, for surely, say to you, till heaven and earth passes away, no one jot or tittle will by no means pass from the law till it is all fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks the one of the, of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, it shall be called the least of the kingdom of heaven. Not whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called the great in the kingdom of heaven. When we follow the obedience of, 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 of the word of God, not, you know, it's not me, we're following, you know, the, the, old tech, the, the old scriptures where you have to make covenants or uh, works. The new covenant is clear. We've been studying that. But it is the way we know what is good and what is wrong by the word of God and by his commandments. It is through the Old Testament and the New which gives clarification and the new foreshadows what was to come. This is the moment, the scriptures that we are reading. John 26, 46. And Jesus said to his disciples after a few times they had failed to pray with him, Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This we, we oftentimes look at the, the crucifixion as the pinnacle moment, right? Maybe the resurrection. Pinnacle moment was the minute that Jesus obeyed his father and said, I will. 
If he didn't say, I will obey my father and I will follow, there would have been no Passover. There would have been no resurrection. It was through his obedience. We cannot expect blessing in our lives if we do not follow God's will. The greatness of what Jesus you know, accomplished with the amazing torture that we see him struggling with here. Thank God I brought it. I brought I brought a hanky because I don't know if I can get there. But the suffering that he went through was so intense. All he had to do was like a Navy SEAL just ring the bell. It's all over. All I need to say is no. When when Pilate says, Who are you? Kidding me? All you do is say the word and the angels would have been there. It wasn't just Jesus suffering. All of heaven was looking down agony for what Jesus was going through. And they did this despite all the things that we have done wrong with humanity. And he still does it because he loved you so much. And what is required is for us to believe in him with faith. And when we believe in him, we are to obey him. And to obey him is to eat his word and give us a new consciousness that he will put into our hearts by circumcising our hearts with his word. John 10, 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Jesus had the choice. Nobody takes it but him. We have a choice to follow God. Choice is, is as free will is part of following Christ. Even though this moment was prearranged to the millisecond from before the creation of the earth. Because the seasons and the sun and the moon and the days and the months all had to coincide to match exactly what happened in Egypt. And the, to 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock. Passover, right? And that was created during creation. And he says, oh yeah, let me make the universe. Boom. That, those, those physics of the stars create our, our orbit, which God had to create ahead of time. But, even though he knew the beginning to the end, he says, no one takes from me, but I lay it down myself. He had a choice. Exodus 24.3, so Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. This is Mount Sinai. This is when he gave them the law, and he says, I will take you as my bride, will you be my people? And they said, yeah. It lasted for like 40 days. Right? They came down and they're worshiping it. Okay, right? Golden calf. We've been struggling with this ever since. Not just them. You and you and you and you. We all struggle with this. But we've been wiped clean when we believe in Jesus Christ. And our constant sanctification is that we learn to follow him in obedience more and more. And as we see Jesus laying on that stone, crying out to God, dripping blood from the anguish, he says, pray and follow me. The scriptures before said, all will be scattered if they lose their shepherd. They don't follow their shepherd. 
And that happened. And all of Israel that didn't follow, 38 years later, same time they were in the desert, and after, you know, after their disobedience, they were, all of Israel was massacred by Roman Titus. We talked about that last week. They were wandering because they didn't follow. Peter didn't follow, but he believed. The difference was he believed in Jesus and he was saved. We will make mistakes like they will make mistakes, but we are covered by the blood of Christ. The flesh and the spirit will constantly battle each other. Which is why we need to pray. And the agony of love, one of the things that, you know, I know Lowell isn't here tonight, but one of the things that I always tell him, the thing that I consider his superpower, above all pastors I've ever worked with, that I appreciate a lot, not he's the greatest of all time, but his heart, is his message of, of the holiness and sanctity of marriage. That is something that is of God's heart. And Lowell teaches that. And it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, I bring this up because Jesus obediently followed the Father. And as husbands and as people who go out into the world, we're called to follow Christ Jesus and be a resemblance of our, in our own houses. And all of us and our families are called to follow Christ Jesus. My only question is, how does a follower of Jesus know what is right and wrong? Now, that will be a question for you to ponder. Thomas? Behold the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. The one that I choose to follow. Abba Father, Lord Jesus, I just lift up this evening to you, Lord. Father, I thank you, Lord, for these words, Lord, and this the scripture, Lord. It is truly, Lord, the moment that you decided to carry that cup, to take on the sins of the world for me and for all of us in here, Lord. It, you knew you was not, the truth was not hidden from you. You freely took that cup. You took the abuse. And you conquered death. And I believe it. I believe you were crucified, falsely convicted, crucified, was buried, and he rose on the third day, and he conquered death forever. And I believe, Jesus, that you gave us the Holy Spirit to be our shepherd, and that we should be praying to you all the time, Lord. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you do whatever it takes in my life, as you did with Peter and all the disciples, Lord, to lasso me, to harness me, and to help me and be able to communicate with you more and more, Lord Jesus. My will is that your will be done in me, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that you may help me fight my flesh. And I lift this up to you. I lift this up to you. Amen, Lord.